Welcome to Problematic Women, a podcast and Facebook live show that showcases strong conservative women, current events, and the hypocrisy of the feminist left. My name is Kelsey Harkness. I'm a senior news producer here with The Daily Signal. And I'm Bree Payton, staff writer at The Federalist. We've got a great show for you today. A lot to unpack. So this week, Melania Trump's favorability ratings reach a personal best. Celebrities at the Met Gala appropriate Catholic culture. Women stand up against the leader of the resistance. And we have a special tribute for Mother's Day. You're not going to want to miss that. But first, Brie, let's talk about Michelle Obama, who is, quote, concerned for women after the 2016 election. During a uh, during a panel she was speaking on at the United States of Women Summit in L.A. last weekend, she asked, quote, what is going on in our heads where we let that happen? You know, referring to the 2016 election. Let me start out by saying that a lot more was probably going on inside the heads of women who chose to vote for President Donald Trump than women who chose to follow her advice and vote based simply on their body parts. But here's a clip of what exactly Michelle Obama just said. In light of this last election, I'm concerned about us as women and how we think about ourselves and about each other and what and what's really going on. I mean... So, Brie, this wasn't the first time that Michelle Obama has talked down to women who voted for President Trump, but this time it didn't get much media coverage. Why do you think that was? Well, I think people expect this from her. I think that people expect Michelle Obama to, you know, criticize people who voted for someone other than the person that they tap to be, you know, the successor of the Obamas. Um, And I also think because a lot of people in media agree with her, right? So this doesn't like set off alarm bells in their heads because they're like, (laughs) oh, yes, of course. So I think that's why. I also think this is deeply hypocritical because every time you have a Republican woman either up for some sort of nomination or running for some sort of campaign, you do not hear quote unquote, feminists like Michelle Obama out there saying, well, you have to vote for her because she's a woman. We saw this just this week with Gina Haspel, who uh, is going through the confirmation process for CIA director. She's been having a tough time. Having a tough time, but she has been very strong. I think she I think she did a great job if, if anyone saw any of those clips this week. But nobody's saying to confirm her just because she's a woman, as they shouldn't be saying. But then for some reason, when it comes to Hillary Clinton, we were all supposed to vote for her simply because of our body parts. Yeah. Also, I'm just gonna say one last thing before we move along. You know, Michelle Obama's comment kind of intimates like, oh, how could we let that happen, right, as a Democratic Party? Like, as if they're the puppet masters that control all the strings that move everything that we do, right? Like, that, the tone of that comment overall, I think, is really revealing about the way that Democrats see themselves. They really do see themselves as in charge of women because they like to say, we're the party of women, so we're in, I guess they think they're in charge of us. All right, moving along. A new poll is out from CNN about the First Lady. Her favorability ratings has apparently been skyrocketing. It's up to 57%, up from January's 47%. She remains the most like Trump family member, as only 27% of Americans view her unfavorably. 
So this week, she unveiled her Be Best campaign, an anti-bullying campaign, also encouraging kids to, you know, use social media in moderation, use it wisely, um, divide their time wisely. Here's her announcement. I'm very excited to announce Be Best, an awareness campaign dedicated to the most valuable and fragile among us, our children. So obviously this campaign received a lot of flack from late night late night hosts encouraging her to just quote unquote be better. Um and I guess a few of them accused her of plagiarism. Bray, I believe you yeah, know more about so, that. So okay. Do you remember remember when Melania's speech kind of echoed a lot of the same things that Michelle said? Um when her own husband received the nomination, she got a lot of flack for that. People just mercilessly mocked her for like years. People are still mocking her for that. So she unveils this campaign and the New York Times is reporting that observers on Twitter quickly pointed out that one of the primary materials with the Be Best branding was a booklet on social media guidelines called Talking with Kids About Being Online. And this is a pamphlet that had been circulated by the Federal Trade Commission during the Obama era. So people are accusing her of like plagiarizing the Obama administration because she reused a pamphlet that they had circulated, which to me is ridiculous. This is everything that's wrong with the government when it comes to anti-bullying on social media. If members of our government who taxpayers are paying for have already looked into this and drafted policies of how children and adults can be better or be best on the internet, why wouldn't she just reuse them do we really want to pay for administration to do the same thing that somebody just did a few years ago i think that's pretty ridiculous yeah i definitely agree with you and i mean she came up with putting this whole thing together right like maybe she reused a pamphlet from the prede- her predecessor but like she came up with the be bre- be better she came up with be like best. the be best I'm sorry. <laughs> which i'm sorry she came up with the be best and she came up with all of the rollout ideas like <laughs> i don't think that she's plagiarizing that idea which is the she, part that she came up with she is not and clearly she is doing this a little bit in spite of her husband which i think we need to give her credit for because President Trump, we know, takes to Twitter, does some uh, bullying and name calling himself. So I actually think this took a lot of balls for her to do. And I give her a lot of credit. Although I will say when I first heard heard the name Be Best, I was like, is that the best you could have come up with? There's nothing better. But then when you actually hear a Melania with her accent say Be Best, it sounds pretty badass. It sounds classy. (laughs) I I will give her that. All right. Well, I think it's an important campaign. It's an important topic of our time. So hopefully that can make a difference for children online. Moving on, professional feminists say wives making sandwiches for their husbands is a crime against feminism. So here's what happened. There was this mother in Australia who posted on a mommy Facebook group saying, quote, I would love to hear what other moms make their hubbies for lunch and snacks throughout the workday. We are getting over sandwiches. First off, amen, sister. We all need more alternatives (laughs) for lunch. So feminazis came out swinging. Here are some of the responses. I make my husband the same thing that he makes me. Nothing. 
stuff that hubby is a grown man. I already do his laundry and keep his children alive. (laughs) He's lucky if I decide to make dinner some nights. I was married for 20 years and my favorite, spelled with a U, packed lunch for my husband was called Get It Yourself with this side of I'm not your mother. Another one said, nope, I didn't sign up for that at the altar. But in the spirit of being helpful, pickled onions stuffed in mandarins, which sounds kind of disgusting. Yeah, I think that's the point. She's just naming something awful to be like, here's what you should feed your horrible husband for wanting you to make him things. Okay, so I look at this piece in light of a piece I actually just read this morning in National Review, making National Review making the case about why conservatives should embrace feminism. And stories like this of a woman getting attacked simply for asking for alternatives of what she can make her husband for lunch are exactly why conservative women are going to reject feminism. So I think if, you know, we really want feminism to be this uniting Um, idea that all women of all perspectives can be a part of, the left needs to stop going crazy over women wanting to make their husbands a sandwich. I think making your husband a sandwich is actually a really nice thing. And it, it, and attacking this woman really, um, it, 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 it really ignores the reality that there are a lot of women who choose to be housewives and want to do these nice things for their husbands who are gone all day. Um, and the last thing they want to come home is do more work in the home. Yeah. Also, making a sandwich takes five minutes. <laughs> so I don't see, like, if a woman decides to spend five minutes making a sandwich, I don't see how that's wrong. Well, I usually make my sandwiches hot, so mine take more than five minutes. <laughs> all right. Moving along. Taylor Swift had some fireworks. Fireworks this week. Okay, so pop star Katy Perry appeared to have sent a note to Taylor Swift with a literal olive branch and a heartfelt note. Swift posted a Snapchat of the note on Instagram, which was sealed with a puppy sticker, and it read something like this. Dear old friend, I've been doing some reflecting on past miscommunications and the feeling between feelings between us. I really want to clear the air. I am deeply sorry for dot, 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 dot. We don't know what the rest of the note says because that the first two lines was all that was visible in Taylor Swift's Snapchat. She posted a video of this note and she, with, alongside it, she wrote with a caption, thank you, Katie, with two pink heart emojis. Important question. Why was the note sealed with a puppy sticker instead of a cat sticker when everybody knows Taylor is a cat girl? I feel like there's something going on there. Maybe. Maybe there's some, like, secret shade happening with the sticker. <laughs> well, Who knows? Well, I think this was really nice to see the two pop stars hopefully get over their feud. But Taylor Swift is not done with her drama yet because she just uh, had her first um, debut of her reputation tour in Arizona. And um, in it, she you know, very bluntly addressed her feud with Kim Kardashian West. Um, You know, we all remember back when Kim Kardashian tweeted snake emojis about Taylor Swift and Taylor had this massive snake on stage and um, 
said to the audience, quote, a couple years ago, someone called me a snake on social media and it caught on. I wanted to send a message to you guys that if someone uses name calling to bully you on social media, and even if a lot of people jump on board with it, that doesn't have to beat you. It can strengthen you instead. So I think that is a positive message to say, you know, to take what was a negative symbol of a snake and instead flip it around and make it, you know, empowering in some way. But I do have to ask, was this the right call? Is Taylor Swift taking the high road or the low road by basically blowing this feud up even more? And especially I want to ask you, Brie, in light of what Melania is saying as part of her Be Best campaign. So I think Taylor Swift, and I wrote about this over at thefederalist.com, which you should check out. So I think she's being strategic in deciding which feuds she's going to drop and which ones she's going to pour gasoline all over, right? <laughs> like the repu- her album that she's out uh, touring with right now, Reputation, uh, it's basically all based on her feud with Kim and Kanye. So I think it makes sense to keep that feud alive if only for the purposes of publicity. And her comments that she made at this concert totally blew up the internet. Like, every single entertainment, like, every single news outlet, everything picked up her comments that she made about Kim at um, the concert. So, you know, I think she's being smart and strategic, and who can blame her? I think the lesson here is don't mess with Taylor Swift because she will have the last word. Absolutely. So speaking of the last word, uh, actually, that's a really bad transition. But anyway, we're moving <laughs> along to talk at about. You, at least you admit it. Yeah, I, I said it and then was like, all right. OK, anyway, we're going to be talking about the Met Gala, um, which this past year's theme was Heavenly Bodies, Fashion and the Catholic Imagination. So a lot of celebrities dressed up, inspired by the Catholic Church. Most of the outfits I thought were cool. Ariana Grande had like a Sistine Chapel dress and Sistine Chapel nails, which if you haven't seen her manicure yet, uh, you should. They're on Instagram. <laughs> They're worth your time checking out. You know, um, I think it was um, Gigi Hadid had a, uh, a dress that was inspired by stained glass. Like there were a lot of really cool looks at One this One that event. wasn't cool was Kendall Jenner was in, it was a beautiful white romper. It's very simple. I guess she was trying to look angelic. But the funniest meme I saw was the romper weirdly had this trail of white fabric at the end and someone put a roll of toilet paper next to it. And it literally looked like she was walking around with toilet Aww. paper coming off of her romper. But that's fashion for you. Yeah, that's true. Anyway, another outfit that was not so cool, in my opinion, was Rihanna dressing up as a sexy pope. She was a sexy pope. Uh, and she rode up in a uh, a car that looked like the Pope Mobile. Um, and she wore an actual miter, which is that big pointy hat. She got one. She got it on loan from Cardinal Dolan, who is a drama queen and lends it to her. And she's, you know, decided Wait, to wear it. You just called Cardinal Donald a drama queen? He loves the spotlight. He loves the spotlight as evidenced by lending Rihanna the mitre. Uh, The Catholic Church actually was also pretty heavily involved in this event, gave them like the seal of approval. There were several priests there. Um, You know, there was like a a boys choir from the local parish. There were a bunch of items um, and museum uh, 
exhibits that were opened up and with items from the church. So they were pretty involved in this campaign. I think, you know, they were trying to make Catholicism seem cool again. Uh, in my opinion, they got played. I think it was not so smart of the, the church. Ca- the Catholic church got played is what Yeah, you exactly. Like they were so eager to get on board with this event. They were like, oh, this will finally, you know, this will make us seem cool to celebrities. This will make us seem cool on Instagram. But I think it backfired. Well, I think most celebrities were pretty respectful of the Catholic faith and the way they went about the outfits. Um, but I don't think that celebrities were trying to make being Catholic cool again. If anything, I I think a lot of them were subliminally insulting to the Catholic Church. I mean, we, I know I know one person had a big um, rainbow flag. Yeah. Coming behind him. Right. And, you know, the message there. And I think it's fine to express, you know, express your own beliefs on the red carpet in an artistic way. But I just have a hard time believing that Hollywood did this to make being Catholic cool again. Yeah, I think they did it as a little bit of a middle finger. And I think like the church not seeing that and being like, oh, this will make us seem great. Like, I think that was a huge oversight on their part. Like. I would have seen that from a mile away. I do want to ask really quickly. There's been this massive conversation about cultural appropriation. And a lot of people are are alleging that uh, the Met Gala is appropriating. How dare they appropriate the Catholic faith? Um, I I think it's interesting to see when the tables are turned and it's, um, you know, people who are Catholic, they're their culture and their faith being appropriated because I don't think you saw the level of outrage that you see from the left when, you know, right. There weren't death threats. There wasn't like no one, there weren't protesters trying to stop the event. Yeah. What we talked about last week on this, on this exact show with a high school student wearing a Chinese prom dress and someone who is, is Chinese feeling offended. You know, I think the level of offense was very moderated from Catholics. And I think some of them have a right to feel offended if they thought some of these outfits were inappropriate, but it just kind of made me happy to know that when the tables are turned, we're not being hypocritical um, when we call out, when we call their level of outrage insane. Yeah, and I will just say one really quick last thing about this. I do think that there's a huge difference between cultural appropriation because I don't think cultural appropriation is real. And I think when people complain about it, I think that it's dumb and I think it's fine to make fun of them. And I think it's fine to be upset a little bit uh, when people are using holy objects that are sanctified for a specific purpose totally for a reason other than that purpose. Right. I think it's fine to say, Hey, that's a holy object. Like that's a mitre that represents, you know, the power that Christ gave to Peter and he has given to every single person in this like huge line of secession. Maybe don't wear it, you know, with your boobs hanging out. Maybe (laughs) let's not do that. You know, like I think that that's legitimate to say. Agreed. So, Rihanna, you might have gone too far and interesting decision on behalf of. But we're not going to boycott you to. We're not going to boycott you. We're going to be reasonable about it. We're just going to say, hey, maybe you don't do this again. That's it. Amen. All right. Well, that wraps up our first segment. When we come back, we will be back with our segment called This is What Feminism Looks Like, where we hold up positive examples of feminism today. 
And we're back with our segment, This Is What Feminism Looks Like. This week, we're going to be looking at the women who are standing up against Eric Schneiderman, who, of course, is the New York Attorney General, who resigned a couple of days ago after allegations of sexual assault and misconduct surfaced about him. So this is the man who was the darling of the left, right? Like, he led the Me Too campaign uh, against and into Harvey Weinstein and was very vocal about all of this stuff. But as it turns out— Anything anti-Trump. yeah. Yeah, that too. You know, so a lot of uh, leftists had rallied behind him in the past. Um, So this is a clip. Is hope on the horizon. A hero who stood up to democracy's nemesis before. Look up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's... I'm Eric Schneiderman, and I'm the attorney general of the state of New York, the lawyer for the state of New York and for the people of the state of New York. Happy one-year anniversary. Well, thank you. He must be so happy that Trump won because he's giving you so much material. What a great time to be an attorney. Yeah, it's like a toxic volcano that just keeps belching out bad public policies. But we have a very strong legal resistance. Are you going to lead us out of the darkness? State attorneys general are going to be the first line of defense because the Constitution kept a lot of power at the state level uh, to hold a potential tyrant in check. We have that power now. And with great power comes great responsibility. Oh, gross. So there there they are. There is the Samantha Bee, queen of the left, the queen bee of the left, lapping it up all around this guy, Eric Schneiderman. Ugh. This disgusting human being. If you actually read the story in the, Unor- in the, in the New Yorker, he did some really, he, he has issues. Yeah, exactly. To her credit, Samantha Bee has now distanced herself from him, called him out for being a gross weirdo. Uh, and they've even renamed the YouTube link to that interview that we just showed you. They renamed it Former AG Trick Sam into thinking he was decent. Which is kind of funny. It's I have to give it 100% to her. funny. It's true. It's all these terrible things. So good on Samantha V for calling that jerk out. And good on the women who came forward um, to out his despicable acts because these women who came forward and two of them went public with their names appear to be hardcore Democrats who support everything politically that he's doing. And so I guess there was this major concern um, about them coming out. They didn't want to undermine the greater hashtag resistance agenda. Um, But it is nice to see women put decency first and put their own morals and their own dignity and respect over politics. So you know, although politically, Bray and I probably disagree with these women on, on a lot of things, I give them so much credit for coming forward. Yeah, we're not going to throw out the Me Too baby with the Schneiderman bathwater. <laughs> when we come back, we're going to announce our problematic woman of the week. You don't want to miss it. We are back, and it is time to announce our problematic women of the week in honor of mother's day this weekend the problematic woman of the week goes to our moms your moms moms everywhere moms are just amazing and in honor of this we decided to give Bree's mom a call and she's with us right now cindy payton thank you so much for joining us you're welcome happy to be here 
Okay, mom. So every <laughs> holiday, my mom, every single holiday, she would always make us read about uh, the history behind every holiday, right? So every Thanksgiving, we would reread the Abraham Lincoln's Thanksgiving pro- proclamation. We'd read the story of Squanto sitting down with the pilgrims, all these other things. So, mom, can you tell us the history of Mother's Day? Of course I can. And yes, you are accurate. Okay, so it was started back in 1908. March 10th, actually, by a lady named Anna Jarvis, who handed out carnations to mothers in her church in order to honor them. So word spread to churches, and in 1914, President Woodrow Wilson officially set aside the second Sunday in May as Mother's Day. However, this upset Anna Jarvis as she envisioned a quiet day where each mom was honored. Mother's Day, as she said, was singular, not plural and each mother was to be recognized in their own quiet way. She spent the rest of her life and sizable inheritance fighting against the commercialization and was even arrested in the 1920s for storming into a confectioner's conference and was dragged away and arrested for disturbing the peace. Uh, Sadly, she died penniless in a sanitarium in a state hospital of dementia in 1948 at age 84 and the ultimate irony is that she never had any children of her own oh my god <laughs> plot twist yes. plot twist well now Did i you need, love that? now i need to ask how father's day came about <laughs> that's uh, for the next broadcast okay right? yeah, we'll, we'll save next. that for we'll father's day my, we'll bring one of our dads <laughs> okay so mom A lot of her criticisms about Mother's Day sound like criticisms that you also have. So can you tell us a little bit more about things that you like to happen on Mother's Day, things that you do not like happening on Mother's Day? And by the way, how how many children do you have? Okay, five. Five. Three three girls and two boys. Bree's the oldest, and then I have kids all the way down. Bree's youngest brother is named Jack, and he's 12 12 years old. So you have a right to have an opinion on this. Tell us what it is. Okay. So I think some of my favorite Mother's Days were, um, like I remember just a couple of years ago, back in 2016, we were all in Florida for Bree's younger sister. Oh, yeah, that's college, right. College graduation. And Bree flew in actually on Mother's Day on Sunday. And so that was pretty fun. And she gave me, she gave me this beautiful little pair of stud earrings, which I still have and love. And Christina that year brought me, oh my gosh, do you remember? She brought me macaroons, homemade. They were so great. Oh, I love them. that's right. Little things. Now, one of my favorite Mother's Days, and I think that Anna Jarvis would have liked this, was the year that I had come home. I'm trying to remember. You were probably five, Christina, three, James, a year. And George wanted, Dad wanted to go and take all you kids and all of us to go visit his mom and his grandmother. And I had already been up early. We had gone to church, celebrated, had fun, gone out to lunch, and now we're back. It's the afternoon. And I just remember thinking I was so tired. And the thought of driving an hour and a half to see my mother-in-law, whom I absolutely love dearly, I was just tired. And I looked at my husband and said, would you mind going by yourself with the kids? And he looked and he said, are you serious? You want to be alone? And I said, yeah, I really would love to be alone. Oh. And I remember as he pulled out and I was waving at you guys, I ran back in the house to gate. there's nothing I have to do and nowhere I have to be. And it was such a great afternoon. And 
over the years, as I've confessed this to other mothers, it's just surprising to me how many have said the same thing. My favorite Mother's Day was when my husband asked me what I really wanted, and I went to the beach for four hours by myself and came back a happier mom and just rejuvenated. So I think moms just need to be able to do what their thing is. For me, I learned early on breakfast in bed was not my jam. <laughs> it was just messy. The kitchen was messy. The bed was messy. It meant stripping the sheets and having to wash them. And then more work for me on Mother's Day. So, and then the I'd dogs tried to jump and in told bed all and kids eat, and how eat great the food. you were. Yeah. But yeah, secretly, we didn't ever do that one again. All right. Well, thanks, Mom, for your input on Mother's Day and the valuable history lesson that we've learned. Maybe one day we'll reclaim Mother's Day as a quiet afternoon event where moms get to spend time doing what they want to do. But for now, it's this huge commercial activity. By the way, you're getting a gift from me later today, this afternoon. It's arriving this afternoon. Yeah, I I might be one of those people who you know, partake in the commercialization of Mother's <laughs> Day with card and flowers. I probably should get more original, but Cindy, you have inspired me. And my mom's oh. name is Cindy, too. Really? And, Mom, our birthdays and, are the same day. Yes. Bree and I have the same birthday. Both our moms are named Cindy. It's kind of weird. <laughs> okay, that's really cute. I love it. <laughs> well, thank yeah. you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Happy Mother's Day to all you moms out there. And I'm going to end with a quote because I would always read from books too. Remember, Brianna? Yes. This is from my little devotional book for moms. And uh, when Mother Teresa received her Nobel Prize, she was asked, what can we do to promote world peace? She replied, go home and love your family. Very that true. Perfect. Thanks, Mom. You're welcome. Love, love you, Bri. Love you too. Well, that wraps up our show for this week. Thank you all for tuning in. And as always, if you know a problematic woman, please let us know. You can follow my work on The Daily Signal and on Twitter at Kelsey J. Harkness. And you can follow all of my work at thefederalist.com. And you can also follow me on Twitter at Brie underscore Payton. This podcast is a collaboration of The Daily Signal and The Federalist and is produced by the wonderful Lauren Evans of The Daily Signal. You can also join our new Facebook group on facebook.com slash group slash problematic women another slash and if you like this podcast please support us by rating and subscribing on itunes soundcloud and wherever you get your podcasts we also appreciate you sharing problematic women with your friends and for supporting strong conservative women who are standing up for america's culture happy mother's day